Hey, before we get things started, I just want to remind you that coming up on Veterans Day, Friday, November 11th at 2 p.m. Eastern, we're going to bring you a special live stream on the At The Mic Show YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash at the mic with Keith. YouTube.com slash at the mic with Keith. To make sure that you don't miss out on this event, would you please go and subscribe and click the bell for notifications. We're going to raise money for veterans, our American heroes that day. We're going to sit down and spend several hours that afternoon on Friday, November 11th, Veterans Day, 2 p.m. Eastern. We're going to take donations and try to raise money for those who have defended our freedoms thanklessly. That's Friday, November 11th, 2 p.m. Eastern. YouTube.com slash at the mic with Keith. Now, welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. How about we talk about coffee and American Pride Roasters coffee and the Dolly Madison blend available right now. Here's an interesting fact from Dolly Madison's life that I would love to share with you, though it really has more to do with a former U.S. president. You see, years after she was first lady, Dolly Madison and President John Tyler were aboard the USS Princeton with other dignitaries when a cannon exploded and killed six people on board. It was a terrible accident, and Dolly and President Tyler escaped unharmed. But what's most amazing about that story on the deck of the USS Princeton was how close President Tyler came to dying that day. See, President John Tyler could have easily been among the dead, but he hung below deck just long enough while a song that was being sung by his son-in-law finished up. Otherwise, he would have been right there when the cannon exploded above deck. And had President Tyler perished that day, there was no vice president in place to ascend to the presidency because Tyler had already been elevated from vice president after the death of President William Henry Harrison, who famously died from pneumonia just one month into his presidency. You got all that? We came down dangerously close to a constitutional crisis establishing presidential succession that wasn't made official until the 25th Amendment was enacted over 120 years later in 1967. Okay, where was I? Uh, Oh, yes. Uh, Try the Dolly Madison blend from American Pride Roasters Coffee today. The Dolly Madison blend is a French roasted brew of South American beans with raspberry flavoring mixed in to add a dash of of dessert flavor. And I think you should give it a try right now. You should just stop what you're doing. Press pause on this podcast. Head over to aprcoffee.com and don't forget that very important promo code ATM. That'll get you 10% off your entire purchase at checkout. That's aprcoffee.com. Promo code ATM for 10% off. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith. An independent podcast production. Brian Kilmeade from the Fox News Channel, more specifically Fox and Friends, the morning show on that channel, is my guest this week. Brian and I sat down and we had a conversation not only about what he does over there on the Fox News Channel, but what he did before he was over there. A lot of interesting details that I was not aware of until I got to know Brian. Uh, We also talked about his books, so many history books that he has written. And I asked him, in this day and age where everything is so hyper-politicized and everybody seems to be upset about everything, if during any of his New York City commutes, he'd ever faced any threats to his personal safety. We talked about that and so much more on this edition 
of At The Mic. Brian Kilmeade, my goodness, have I got some questions for you, man. I think right out of the gate, you're obviously best known for Fox and Friends. Um, You have your own radio show, The Brian Kilmeade Show slash podcast. You have written so many books. My first question is, when do you sleep? (laughs) (laughs) Not enough. Yeah, not enough. But uh, it's just fun, you know, just uh, happy to have this job. And with this management team, they uh, let you do as much as you can do. And these producers ask you to do shows and publishers ask you to do books. So you just section it out, you block it off. And hopefully people, uh, hopefully people will read it. Yeah. And that's why with the President Freedom Fight Around on paperback. So I just take a time out from the project I'm doing now and, and talk about this and, yeah. and anything else you have on your mind. Absolutely. And my goodness, I've got lots of questions, like I said, and I do want to talk to you about not only the paperback version uh, of your latest book, which deals with Abraham Lincoln's relationship with Frederick Douglass. My goodness, probably one of the more important relationships in the history of this country, quite frankly. And I want to talk to you about all that stuff. But I want to go back to just the beginning of your life, man. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You were born, raised, and of course, lived there. I mean, you've just been in New York your entire life, correct? Uh, I spent uh, three, four years in Los Angeles, too. Uh, okay. Moved out there, had a job in Ontario, did all sports radio out in Los Angeles. Um, so lived out, actually had a house, a small apartment in Malibu. So oh, wow. I was able to live out there and did stand up for a while. I, that's doing one of my questions. <laughs> yeah. Doing all three things, making very little money, but uh, being extremely active and, and productive and just kind of cutting my way through. I was looking up some stuff on you. I had no idea, and I apologize for the ignorance, that you were involved with UFC from the very beginning, man. Yeah, I did the first four, I think. Four, yeah, four or five, did play-by-play. Uh, at first, I used to want to do ringside right outside the octagon. Uh-huh. And then uh, something happened. I needed to do play-by-play. They asked me to go in there, did another one, then did ringside again, and then uh, kind of moved on. It was very controversial. There were no rounds. The only way to lose is to be knocked out or choked out. It was uh, sumo wrestlers against karate guys, boxers against jiu-jitsu. So, uh, so one thing leads to another. And the guys actually – I got into that because some of the guys they did stand up with and was producing some of these shows saying, Brian, you're the only guy I know who knows sports. What do you think of this? I said, well, I'll be home on Thanksgiving. I'll take a look. So I went to the city and they showed me all the Gracie's and how they fought on the beach and they were doing this and uh, how the different disciplines never got any play in the U S. So I go, well, I go, you can't say someone's going to die tonight. That's what they wanted to sell it as. I go, but I would do it. I go, I don't know anything about the, you know, the, the martial arts, I'm not an expert, but I'll do the interviews. And one thing lead to another. They did it. It was banned in every state, thanks to John McCain, except for Denver and Charlotte, I think. Wow. And was able to do that. And in the beginning, they said, don't put that on your resume. And now everyone loves it. It's bigger than boxing. Dana White's the best. And they really legitimized it. Made rounds, made weights, have decisions. Yeah. Uh, they have rules. So when I saw it, there were no rules. <laughs> that is fascinating that that it used to be a black mark to put on your resume. And now you want to put that at the top. My goodness, that is. 
Boy, that that's that's an amazing. Well, history. they said it was human. They said it was human cockfighting, and they said, "How dare you?" You know, at that point, there was a big push to ban boxing. I mean, it wasn't too long before that that uh, Ray Mancini killed Daku Kim, I think, in the in the ring, and of all these other, you know, Muhammad Ali with the brain damage that perhaps came from boxing, uh, of all these other people with issues saying, "Oh, you know, in our society, we're too mature. Uh, society is more too advanced for something as barbaric as boxing." And now UFC is in and no one talks about it at all. I know. <laughs> it says quite a bit. I don't know what it says, but it says a lot there. You know, you had mentioned something that I was going to bring up later, but I had no idea they were connected. You used to do stand up. That is fascinating, Brian. Yeah, just a way to get on stage, waiting for that uh, job that helped you memorize stuff, get composure in front of people. Uh, found out the formula, how to do it, how to go about it. And um, I want to just keep pushing on all doors and see what open up first. And I end up getting a job in sports that yeah. brought me back to New York and then brought me to a new sport, which was a precursor to ESPN news. And then I had a chance while I'm working there, they needed Fox news launches in 96 and they needed someone to fill in for their sports guy. They only had one. So I started doing sports for them. And then when Princess Diana dies, the Bosnia war starts, the election mess happens, no room for sports. And they let me make the gradual transition to news. That is and doing a morning show. You can't do stand up. You know, you can't. You're up at two thirty. Can't yeah. do it. It's just impossible. And this is something you've wanted to do, right? Be on television your entire life. I saw that you did some high school news uh, back when you were a kid, huh? On TV. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was actually real news. It was Channel One. So Anderson Cooper did it. Other people did it. So okay. what happens is they have real producers to like Today Show quality producers. And they put together this com uh, this news commercial. It's called Channel One for high schools. It went oh. directly into high schools for like underprivileged for the most part. So uh -huh. it would go for free, but in turn, they put commercials in. And so they hired me to do a couple of uh, freelance things. I did a, a car series, interviews with Michael Jordan. I uh, did a thing on the Dodgers at their uh, Celebrity All-Star Game. So I did about 10, 15 things for them. And that was a great way to get just more experience. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I also saw where you were a sideline reporter for MLS soccer. My goodness, man. I mean, you've done it all. Yeah, I was a big soccer guy, played through college, uh, coached for a long time. So uh, to go on the sideline, do these interviews was a, was a good opportunity. I was there for the launch of the league and uh, for the live coverage. I thought, wouldn't that be great? I, don't, I did some play-by-play, -play, but I think that's a separate skill. And I don't think I necessarily have it, memorizing those names instantly, the way those guys do it. But I knew the game. I knew the people. And I could probably read the story. So I was able to do that, did the Big East, um, uh, men and women, and did a whole bunch of soccer features. Did the well, the 92, was the 94 World Cup, did some stuff over there. And now um, we'll see what happens with the World Cup now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and by the way, I'm with you on trying to remember last names. Uh, when I was young, my goal was to be an NHL announcer. And then I started realizing how many Russian names there were in the National Hockey League. And I thought maybe maybe not the best course for me. So people obviously know you from Fox and Friends. And yep. man, does time fly. You guys are getting close to a 25-year mark. Congratulations on not only the longevity of the show, but it's overwhelming success and how it's just maintained over the years. Yeah, I mean, I just got lucky uh, to join the right team. They would have been successful without me. So I've, I've done enough to stay, but I wouldn't say I'm the linchpin of it. 
But, uh, you know, you just recognize when you join uh, the Yankees when they were the Highlanders. So when they first started, they weren't even on in New York. I came in, we were doing a whole bunch of stuff, but no one was watching. And then as the news got more important, it kept on gaining momentum. And through all the changes and management shows and producers, I was able to hold on there and do some other stuff. Like I'm doing the weekend show now from eight to nine. So I was able to do the radio show from nine to noon, uh, filling on the five, filling at the seven, filling for Tucker. So it's been a lot of, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun job and new stuff on Fox nation. So it's like a big gym, you know, so you come in and once you come in, it's like, they just want to, if you want to do it, we have room for you. So it's a fun place. Now they launched Fox weather that's thriving now during uh, the hurricane Fox business is beating CNBC Fox nation. Uh, well, I think CNN tried this. It lasted a week. Uh, we're lasting like our fourth year. Well, they just do Roseanne Barr. They just signed uh, some major guys. They just signed uh, Kelsey Grammer. And uh, so they're just doing now they're doing some original movies. So they're launching. So when everything goes streaming and you have a choice on your smart TV, you're not going to be switching channels anymore. They want you to be able to see all those Fox channels in front of you. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, that's really smart. Good way to do that. So you mentioned earlier, you wake up at 2.30. Um, yes. You, you've got me beat by half an hour. And you never, yeah. your body, at least in my experience, I have two questions for you. Did your body get used to that clock? And number two, how many hours of sleep do you need in a night? Because I'm miserable all day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely could use a little bit more. But uh, for the most part, uh, four hours. And when I hop on the train on the way home, I'm definitely tired. Yeah. So, but then I get my second win by the time it takes an hour to get home, the second win. And then you try to go work out and do some things, you know, and so you just keep busy. You just yeah. don't have a lot of hobbies in our hours. Yeah, that's, that's completely accurate because you, I would imagine it's right there. I don't know. But when you get done with Fox and friends at 9am, you're immediately thrust on the air for the show every day. Uh, Brian Kilmeade. 906. Yeah. So it must be just down the hall, right? Uh, 15 floors. You hop on an elevator, go up 15 floors, already communicated with the radio people. We've been going back and forth all morning. Uh So yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty condensed. So you really don't, the busiest time I have is from when I'm in the car at three until five 55, five (laughs) 50. And then you do hits for different radio shows in the morning, you supply content uh, for different, you do promos for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And by the time you hit uh, television, you're ready to go. Do you nap at all or no? On the train on the way home. Yeah. You know, no, everyone's still like, still hesitant to get on the train. I always get a seat now. Even when I did the five last night, it was wide open. Oh, wow. Oh my goodness. New York city, man. I haven't been there since 2012. That's when we moved all the operations to Dallas. How's the city doing these days? I think pretty terrible. It's packed though. I mean, it's, they have a lot Is of tourists. Really? No, that no question. I mean, I got to literally walk in the street to get to 34th. You so, can tell who the tourists are, by who's looking straight up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this packed. So there's no question it's packed, but there's, there's totally a, there's a sense of lawlessness that you could get away with anything. And that you see the video, you see, this isn't made up. This isn't cherry picked. So it's the sucker punches that knock you out and fracture your skull. Uh, you see this woman just walking across the platform, gets propositioned. This guy uh, beats it to the point where she's going to lose an eye. 
You know, you see it about the bodega owner who's mm-hmm. trying to not to get stabbed and has to uh, uh, shoot his way out of his own job. So, yeah, and nearly and nearly got charged for that. Spent a couple of days in Rikers. Mm-hmm. I was staggered to find out it's the same people committing these crimes over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting released. Yeah, I wonder. Do, do considering how hyper. Uh, sensitive uh, this nation is right now. Everything is politically charged. And I wonder with your being one of the more prominent faces of a conservative news channel, commuting in that city on the train, do people leave you alone or do they get in your face? I mean, every once in a while, I I have a little bit of a problem, but uh, you got to walk away from it. You know, you can't get into debates. You can't fight, get into fist fights. It lives forever and it doesn't work. But for the most part, people overwhelmingly support it. Overwhelming. It's, you know, a lot of times I used to do my own thing. Uh, I'll walk through and people come up to me and notice me and talk to me. But not like, uh, not necessarily, they just want to engage. They're like, yeah, what's going on? Is Trump going to run again? What is, what has happened with their economy? How, you know, why, when's gas price going to come down? So they, they look at us as uh, part of their lives. They don't look at us as maybe as you might look at Matt Lauer or Regis Philbin mm-hmm. or these people that we're bigger than life. With us, we're just everyday people who have a great job, yeah. but aren't really impressed with themselves to the point where we think we're above anybody. Yeah. And I think that comes off. I'm pretty sure if you ask people in Kansas that watch or Dallas, they would say that. You know, They only look for people... They want to work. They don't work for people that want to be stars. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about you've written more books than I realized. And I will say, by the way, the George Washington Spiring book that that I had my kids read. We homeschool. And that is a superb book. And, I, and I'm just grateful for the opportunity to tell you that in person, man. Um, oh, thanks. It just, it's I just love little known history. And when it's that little known yet that important, it really strikes a chord with me. I, I didn't realize that you had written a couple of books about sports, but obviously now history uh, is, is your thing, which I just love it. You've got, in addition to the George Washington book, you've got uh, the Thomas Jefferson and the Tripoli Pirates book, Andrew Jackson, the miracle that was the Battle of New Orleans, uh, Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers. And then just now you've got the paper book, version of the Abraham Lincoln and the Frederick Douglass book. How do you choose? How do you choose what topics? Because obviously you love history that comes out in the writing. It's it's obviously clear. But how do you decide, you know what, I want to write about this. Uh, does something just spark in your head and then you start researching it? Or how does that? Well, a couple of things. I do this series called What Made America Great. It's going to be changing uh, a little bit into uh, to more of an investigative history series about trying to uncover things that had happened in the past. But Sam Houston, I did a story in the Alamo and I asked myself, what happened after the Alamo? Uh-huh. I'm not a Texas guy. What, you know, what, why, yeah, why is it so little bit known? And when I go to do the TV feature, as soon as I'm done with the shoot, I said, hey, by the way, how'd this end? Nine months later, they win. What is the battle? Oh, it's about 50 miles away. They you know, go to Goliad, go here. And I did. And I said, wait, what if I did the, the revenge? What happened after the Alamo? So everyone's done the Alamo, but how many people know San Jacinto? So I went back there and how did they win in 17 minutes after getting totally annihilated in Goliad in the Alamo? So I said, okay, there, you know, Sam Houston, you know, Davy Crockett. Do you know, you know, William Travis, perhaps 
you know, Jim Bowie maybe, but do you know what happened at the Alamo and what happened after and how Sam Houston uh, shocked all the doubters and picked the right time to take Santa Ana uh, at the right place in the total surprise. So I did that through the series and then I wanted to move up and I wanted to move up in time. And the next big moment was civil war. And I go, let me duck out of that. Everyone's so divided. Black Lives Matter's raging. That's all I need. Then I said, well, that's perfect. Because more as soon as you read first thing I did is read Frederick Douglass's own biography. Yes. A few years after escaping slavery, he writes his story. So mm-hmm. I'm able to cut out the middleman. And I go, wow, okay. Let me see what else we got here. So maybe, and I just read Carl Sandburg's book about Lincoln and listened to the second half of it on tape. So it was just the whole his whole life. They didn't leave out his, his 17 years old from 27 to 30. They didn't leave out anything. And I go, wow, what if I just take that period of time, talk about how they emerged, how they crossed each other's paths and came together to form this force uh, and help win the war. And then what I try to do in the paperback is bring something new to it. So in the paperback, I talk about Lincoln, what happened after Lincoln was assassinated, how they brought his body all around, how his wife made sure that Frederick Douglass got his favorite walking stick that Douglass had commented on. And then uh, what happened after with Andrew Johnson and how Douglas 10 years later was asked to give the eulogy at the dedication of now controversial freedom statue, which everyone wanted to tear down during the Black Lives Matter riots. Like, okay, I, that's something I could take out of the news and put into the paperback. Then I could say, honestly, you'll get new information if you get it. Okay. And then talk about what a let down Andrew Johnson was. This guy was a raging racist that he almost made it uh, unnecessary to fight the war. He said, guys, Keep your black codes together. You don't have to hire blacks if you don't want to. And if I give them the ability to vote, you enforce it any way you want. If there was no John Wilkes Booth killing Lincoln, and he was able to combine with Ulysses S. Grant and Frederick Douglass, we might not, in the 1860s, we might not have needed a civil rights revolution in the 1960s mm-hmm. because it would have been all, it would have been tough. But all three of them working together, knowing what Grant was capable of, knowing what Lincoln was was able to get us through and, and the intellect and the impact that Douglas had. So you put those three together pulling in the right direction, that would have been a force. Instead, you got Andrew Johnson who told Frederick Douglass, I have no use for you. Mm-hmm. And Grant saw him as a huge problem and maneuvered to get him out after four years. And he was one vote shy of being impeached. And he should have been. It's just because Lincoln didn't take a running mate. Lincoln took someone from the South that could help with the transition, he thought, to after we win the war, this guy starts to gravitas in the South. Mm-hmm. Instead, you got a lot of his racist qualities from the South. Do you think the way Frederick Douglass was given the cold shoulder, which, by the way, you're right. I mean, I would recommend people read his life story as well. Uh, some of the things that he was witness to just horrific. I mean, the life of a slave. It's just unimaginable. Um, but do you think that the way that they treated him after Lincoln's death has anything to do with the way he is. There's so little known about, and that's why your book is so important. There's so little known about someone like a Frederick Douglass. And I wonder if it's because of he was buried uh, in history on purpose, or is it the fact that he just doesn't fit the narrative that that people are seeking today for a, a black man that was alive during the civil war? Well, I mean, a couple of things. He came to life because I think right after uh, World War II, people started looking at his writings, his newspapers and said, look at this guy. It's pretty amazing. Hmm. Number two is, you know, Frederick Douglass knew it. This was his high point. His high point was I'm going to free all the slaves, not just myself. Hmm. And I'm going to make America a better place. And when you win the civil, when you play a role winning the Civil War and you have both your sons fighting and you recruit for it and you agitated for it and you have a 
newspaper to make sure the media was on your side and they knew your point of view. He said, this is my high point. And I don't know how else I'm going to define myself. He ends up taking on the women's movement to get, get them the right to vote, which would happen, as you know, in 1919. He worked with Susan B. Anthony to give them the freedom to vote. So women and blacks were working at the same time to give some of the fundamental freedoms that were afforded them in the Constitution just weren't awarded them that they should have been born with. And we all know that. So that was his second mission. But he also became, you know, an official James Garfield destined to be an emissary in Washington, D.C. That house still exists. He lived in it the rest of his life overlooking Washington. So people in his time knew about him. Uh, and he did live a long time, I think 78. But in his time, he was famous. And then he went through a down period where he wasn't. And then there was a huge comeback for him. So yeah. I think that's what happens. For example, uh, Ulysses S. Grant, they say, if you were to put money on any historical figure that's going to rise in time, they'll put your money on Grant. Because everyone just said, oh, that, you know, that drunk general uh, was a bad president. It's not true. There were incidents heavily disputed where he drank and he drank too much. The guy was, uh, then he just stopped. And the other thing is he was brilliant and he couldn't have been drunk nearly as much as they said. And he was honest. The things that went wrong for Grant is when the people he hired went south, not him. This guy had every ounce of his integrity with him. And he was actually taken advantage of by people that used his fame uh, to do poor investments. He actually used his money to do poor investments. And he had to write that incredible memoir to give his family something to live on because he lost everything thanks to trusting somebody who fought under him in a war. And so people looked at Grant and say, well, I would have failed. He had to write those. He had to write that book to get money. He died broke. No, no. This guy used integrity and Douglas bet on him too. If you look at Douglas and the other thing that bothers people is they were Republicans. You know, Douglas was a Republican. Uh, Lincoln was a Republican. Grant was a Republican. And because basically Democrats were pretty much segregationist, racist, not all, but most. And that's the platform they ran on and looked to retain. But people don't want to hear that now. And Douglas would say over and over again, his quotes, keep in mind, he's like, I'm a Republican, but I'm disappointed in my party. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a couple more questions about your books. Uh, I'm going to save those for just a moment here. You know what? Let me do this. Let me do some rapid fire here. Um, I think you already alluded to one of them, but uh, you don't have time for hobbies, do you? No. No. <laughs> no. Cut, cut the chase there. Yeah, no, no regrets. Not, yeah. this point. Not even fantasy football or anything like that? I mean, uh, Will Kane started a league here, so we're doing it, but I'm letting my son run it. Okay. All right. Yeah. The secret's out. What kind of music does Brian Kilmeade listen to? Like, what's your favorite genre or favorite band or two? Uh, man? I would say New Country, uh, okay. The Highway, Y2K. Okay. Now, um, you can answer uh, with, with the titles of your books if you'd like, but I'm just curious what, what the last book you read and the favorite book you've ever read. Uh, the one I just read was... Um, the updated Booker T. Washington book up from slavery when he updated it. I forgot the name of the title. It's uh, it's a sequel to that. OK. Favorite book ever. I mean, is there one you point to as I would say the, the my favorite book that I can keep in mind that's at the top of my mind right now uh, that took me like a year to read just because of my schedule is the book by Grant by hmm. Ron Chernow. Yeah, I'm interested in reading that. I have not read that. When, I, when, you, when you he does, he, leave, he doesn't edit much, but. Oh. <laughs> when, when, when he dies at the end, you almost feel like you lost a family member. And what was the, uh, is it the, is it autobiography or someone wrote it about him or? Oh yeah. Well, Ron Chernow would do Hamilton, sure. which became a uh, play. Oh he also yeah. He did a book okay. on Washington. Nice. Uh, he wrote a book on Grant. 
which okay. I think they made a movie on the History Channel. But just so underappreciated where this guy came from. I mean, he's an apprentice to his younger brother as a saddle maker or something like that. And he ends up being the most important, one of the most important generals in our history. And if it wasn't for a guy like Lincoln looking for somebody that's willing to fight, not pose. Mm -hmm. It didn't have any political ambitions. Um, probably no other president would have seen what people saw in Grant, what, what Lincoln saw in Grant. So wow, I just cool. thought it was a pretty amazing story. I, I love books that uh, introduce you to somebody in a different way. And it, and it definitely sounds like that's one of them. Sure now. Okay. Um, do you spend much time on your phone? Do you have a favorite app that you uh, enjoy? Uh, no. I mean, most of my phone, I'm doing logistics. I don't really enjoy myself. You know, it's like, oh, I got to get back to this guy. I got to do this. Uh, uh -huh. Let me go on this website. <laughs> I got to do this interview with this Keith guy today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is what I wanted to ask you. Because being immersed in the news of the day every day, just just as you are, the news, obviously, in, in your last quarter of a century of doing Fox and Friends, has obviously the state of the world has deteriorated on an almost hourly basis. And I just wonder, if is talking about this terrible stuff on a daily basis, does that get to you? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it gets to me because... You know, let's say that I'm tired of covering the Iraq or Ukraine war. Really? How about the people fighting it? You know, wow, this I'm, this Russia story is never ending. What if you're one of the 98,000 that had the heads of Kazakhstan to avoid being drafted? You know, so, mm -hmm. you know, the economy, well, it's so depressing. Really? What if you're one of those people living paycheck to paycheck that have to decide on a rotational basis what bills you're paying this month? You know, or your 5% raise means nothing because inflation's at 8.3%. So I, I look at the people it affects. And I say, what's so bad about me covering it? Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I. Uh, I got you. The thing that gets me the most is the, the, the not dishonesty is too easy of a word, but the disingenuousness in which some things are done. The Inflation Reduction Act, which is never intended to mm -hmm. reduce inflation. People telling you gas is down when you know at 286, when you know it's 374. And you just have people tell you things that flat out are wrong um, about the Afghanistan uh, evacuation was a complete success that nobody was left behind. When people say that with a straight face, mm -hmm. that's the stuff that bothers me. Yeah. But if I'm studying the evacuation of Afghanistan, I'm like, I have no right to be burnt out on that because there's retired guys working in the in the back rooms to get people out of there. I can't pretend that me covering it is stressful. Mm -hmm. Them getting those former aides in country out of that terroristic nation is gets to me. But I, I think the, the disingenuousness, so, I mean, whatever happened to the time in which, you know, um, you're pretending today is that every Democrat now is tough on crime. Are you kidding me? For three years, you told us that the problem was we have too many people in jail and that cops are all, all criminals wearing uniforms and just want are racist and just want to beat up on minorities. And now you're like, yeah, I'm full of funding the police. We got to, we got to do something about no cash bail. Excuse me. We have you on camera telling us the exact opposite. The <laughs> day in which that stuff drives me crazy. The day, if you just say, listen, three years ago, I thought cops were the problem. When I see what's happening in the streets today from city to city and talk to people and cops and go into precincts, I got to totally reverse myself. I was wrong. Okay, I'll vote for you. You you were wrong. Join the club. I'm wrong all the time. But I like to think I'd admit it. 
you know, I, but you want to lie to us and say you were never against the police. That's mm-hmm. what drives me crazy where the president of the United States comes out and says, I was never for defunding the police. We didn't use the words, but everything you did and your actions you took shows you did. Yeah. And you know, I gave all the states money to cop. It's not up to me to pay the cops. I gave money. You gave them money during the pandemic to pay their bills. You never said give it to the police force. So when they take when they when they take us as uh, when they play us as dummies when we're not, I find that agonizing. But for the events itself, for example, I'm tired of hurricane coverage. Well, can you imagine being in Florida and you're losing all your stuff and there's 12 foot swells wiping out your your dreams? I don't have no right to be burnt out of that. Um, biggest turning point in your life, Brian Kilmeade. Anything that you uh, getting, uh, getting this job clearly and uh, being smart enough to realize it, even though uh, nobody knew it. Nobody knew what Fox News was uh, at all. They all said, you mean you're doing Fox Sports? No, I'm doing new sports on Fox. I, had kept, I would stop telling people where I work. And now it's the most famous, most successful channel. So that was a breaking point. The other was um, when I went out to California, to be able to do all sports radio and be able to digest West Coast sports before the real internet took in. So you actually go to the library, go into convenience stores and read the newspapers. The newspaper. Yeah, and re- but buying them from other cities and going to the library and picking up things from other cities. And I think getting that all sports radio job was big. And even though they only paid me $200 a shift, I couldn't believe how lucky I was on a 50,000-watt station of the number two market in the country. So those those things, um, those are the biggest uh, career breaks, no doubt about it. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, biggest fear? I mean, it could be it could be something as, as – uh, High on the list as dying alone, it could be something like spiders. Although, you know what? Actually, for me, spiders in the dark actually would be more on the high end. But anything come to mind? Um, you still want to be one of the, you know, you see so many great careers canceled overnight from the upper, like from the, the ultimate highs, the people that seem impervious, just gone. Mm-hmm. I look at Matt Lauer, look at Bill O'Reilly, look at uh, Megan Kelly. Making Kelly's come all the way back. So is Bill O'Reilly. I imagine Matt Lauer will too. Uh, but uh, Louis C.K., uh, like they've done things in their actions. Absolutely. When you see Sharon Osbourne or when you see Pierce Morgan, you realize at any moment this could all end. And you don't, whatever I want to do, I just don't want to be self inflicted. Yeah. So it's really jarring when you see these great careers fall apart right before your eyes. So to me, that that's one thing I'm saying to myself, you know, if I'm if I would like to feed, I'd rather not fall. And I don't want to be for something I did or something I didn't do and got blamed for. So when I'm on the air six hours a day, five days a week minimum, you're going to make a mistake. Oh, yeah. And you just want to make sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, you want to make sure it's not it's not uh, cataclysmic. So that's my one. That's a worry, not a fear, really. Sure, sure. Well, outside of the world of broadcasting, any regrets that you would care to share? Um, something you would do differently along the way? Anything come to mind? I know these are heavy questions with no time to really consider them. Yeah, um, <laughs> any regrets? We can skip it. I have to. I, yeah, I'm sure yeah. it'll come to me tonight. Well, that's but, good. That's actually yeah. a good thing, though, right? If nothing just jumps yeah. into your mind, that's actually a good thing. Uh, what's the most scary you've ever been, Brian Kilmeade? Uh, these are all good questions. I don't, I don't really know about uh, scared. Was there ever a time in your life when maybe 
something was happening around you, especially in that city, quite frankly, where you're like, okay, this may not end well. And you got out of it somehow or had to negotiate out of it. I don't know. No, I've been, been kind of lucky that way. Good. Physical harm. No, I, one guy, a couple of guys follow me with cameras and I had to make the decision not to engage. Yeah. Every instinct was to turn around and to engage. If I was in a real, if I was in the real world and I didn't have the job I had. So mm-hmm. there was no fear. There was just, maybe I regret not, uh, confronting directly to go at him. But I also didn't want to put together a viral moment that's going yeah. to live forever. So have you ever had to get off the train at a different stop than your normal routine because of something? Not yet. That's simple. I would probably, that's what they told me to do, by the way. Yeah, I went I over after that incident happened. They said, yeah, either walk back to work or you get off at a stop. Um, so that that would be, I've never had to have that happen. I've had people come up to me and say disparaging things, especially uh, when Trump was in office. Uh-huh. So that was a crazy time. Since Trump left and you see so much falling apart, <laughs> I, I have people like basically coming up to me uh, more and more. Can you get Trump back, please? <laughs> Call right. I don't know if they're ready for that, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I do know they liked his policies. Yeah, um, and I know that uh, I know that the other networks have had no ratings since. Yeah, and we're the only ones who increased our ratings. So go figure. Uh-huh. What's uh, what's been your most embarrassing moment? Anything uh, that you care to share that comes to mind? It doesn't have to be broadcast related. It could be something else, you know. I don't know if I if I did think of one. I don't know if it would do any good to review it and relive it and then oh, put no. it on this very okay. successful podcast. Well, then kill it. Then kill it. We won't go there. Yeah. <laughs> I won't put you on the spot. Um, now, if you could go back in time and meet anybody not named Jesus, all right, who would you want to want to hang out with? I would think Washington, no doubt about it. Yeah, a guy that wouldn't bury you with his intellect, but with his street smarts who could uh, work a farm, be a surveyor, uh, and uh, a great leader, general, made some mistakes, overcame them. And Mm -hmm. everyone that writes about meeting him just talks about this presence that he had and the way he could go in front of a hail of bullets and not get shot. Yeah, Uh, He's almost like a mythical character that I always expected. The more you research, the more you'd find holes in that story. And there just wasn't. Even though he was never perfect, and he had insecurities. I just find the guy fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, can you believe that the, the father of our country, this great leader, like you said, with so many redeeming qualities, it, he considered himself a disappointment to his mom. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's incredible. Um, all right. I know the answer to this before I ask it, but I've got to ask it. Um, you've obviously rubbed shoulders with a lot of celebrities over the year. They come in there, they're on Fox and friends. They, they get on the curvy couch with you. Any, let, let me start with this. Any great celebrities or people that, that you have met that you, that you say to people, man, I've got to tell you how great of a person so-and-so is anybody that jumps out, uh, from a good experience or something. Cause well, you know, I, the think, flip, Gary's, the flip I think Gary, I think Gary's Denise is pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Right. Uh, I, I love meeting Stallone, getting a chance to interview him four or five times. I think we might be doing him again in November. Okay. Um, I think The Rock, even though uh, hmm. ever since Trump came in office, we're having trouble booking him. 
that meet the rock and see what kind of great person he is. I'm I think telling he's you, amazing. He, he's, the, I, I say it all the time. That's our future president. He's, if he decides to run, the man will be yeah. president, period. Because yeah, he's got a humility about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, as great as he is, number one box office, everybody knows who he's done. I think he's got a, humil- like a humility and every man quality to him. Yeah. Uh, and the other person I got a chance to meet and do a radio show with is Jim Brown. You know, oh. the activist, greatest running back ever, lacrosse player. Mm-hmm. And that relationship was so is so cool. I've been able to talk to him uh, since two Super Bowls ago. But I did a radio show with him for three and a half years. We stayed in touch. But I lived out in Los Angeles. So I was always over there. And um, he's really an amazing, deep thinking guy. Yeah. And I watched the way he handles his extreme celebrity and his controversial life. I had a chance to see it and observe it and how he handled it and the impact he's made. I mean, when I was in his kitchen, he, he said to me, Brian, you realize MLK and Malcolm X sat in that same exact spot? And he wasn't trying to brag. He was trying to tell me um, the history he's seen and what he's witnessed. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel as though he so under, was so underappreciated. That was when he's in his 60s. I agree. Now he's 84. What he has lived and what he has done, grow, you know, was in the second floor of a house in Manhasset group of white people team up and they sent him to college. They told him he had a football scholarship, but he really didn't. They paid it because they knew once they saw him play, they give him one. Syracuse gets him one. He finally makes the starting lineup. They go to travel. They tell the black guys should not go south. The black guys can't stay with the white guys in the hotel. So the whole team lives in the black hotel or goes sleeps on the bus. So he has these impactful moments at the same time. He never used it as an excuse. Right. So, but he's, he pointed out inequities that were wrong and he got under people's skin while being the best at what he's done and the toughest he is. And instead of hanging out with just rich people, he went and formed together, uh, formed a, a unit that helped teach people life skills in prison, the American program. You might not have loved it every time he had graduations in prisons. I covered it. So I, I, there's nobody to me who will ever be as fascinating. And again, not perfect. I'm not talking about perfect people. Right. I'm just talking about fascinating people. Uh, seriously, everything you just said there that I know of him and you obviously know him much better than I ever would, but, um, I've got to point this out. I'm sorry. I had no idea the man played lacrosse. What? Yeah. They say he's the greatest lacrosse player ever at Syracuse. I'm a football fan. I know Jim Brown and I, I I just never heard that. That's pretty cool. That is a very yeah, and they see. You know, I think he averaged forty point or thirty five points in high school uh, basketball too. That's incredible. Well, man, I appreciate you making time for me today, Brian Kilmeade. Please check out the book. Uh, it, it's, I mean, you're you're a great author, and people need to check out all of your history books, not just this uh, Lincoln and Douglas one. But uh, thanks for making time today. I really do appreciate it, sir. Thanks, thanks for the great questions. It's been great. Continued success, man. Thank you, sir. Take care. Thanks, man. Bye. It was a pleasure getting to talk with Brian Kilmeade. I appreciate the time that he was able to share with us for today's conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Don't forget you can see Brian every day on Fox & Friends over on the Fox News channel. I want to remind everyone that on Friday, November 11th, 
2 p.m. Eastern, youtube.com slash at the mic with Keith. We're going to raise money for veterans, and I hope that you can be a part. And in the meantime, if you would be so kind as to head over to either Apple iTunes or Spotify, rate and review this podcast. If you would be so kind as to give it five stars, I would be so grateful. You're always welcome to drop a note through the website at themikeshow.com. And of course, there's that YouTube channel I mentioned, youtube.com slash at the mic with Keith. When you get a chance, if you could please also share an episode with a friend of yours or someone in your family who needs some good conversation in their life, we would be grateful for that as well. Sorry for asking for so many things, but (laughs) I assure you, I promise you, I am grateful. The next time we sit down, I will be interviewing my children, my three kids, Aslan, Ezra, and Zeely Malinak. This conversation I was just going to do originally, um, just for posterity, just to have uh, a recorded interview for the archives. Then I thought, you know what, I will just make it available for an episode. We will round out season three next week when I sit down with the Malinak children, Aslan, Ezra, and Zeely Malinak. I hope you will sit down and join us for that as well. And until we do sit down again, I hope that you will go be free. Thank you for listening. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to atthemikeshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect.